to follow it. It's on page 1000, sorry, 1105. It's from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 29. It tells of the church in Antioch. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of the people disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from John, chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. It can be found on page 1067 in your Bibles and on the screens in front of you. John, chapter 4, beginning at verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged, urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do with the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, but he stayed two days. 
Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. pray. God, as we come to your words, we thank you for these uh, two exciting stories of mission and uh, for what you're doing. Uh, please help us that we can learn from them uh, and put in our, uh, into effect in our own witness in the 21st century. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There was a missionary to uh, Iran about 150 years ago who wrote back a somewhat discouraging report. He said, I am not yet reaping a harvest. I'm not even sowing the seed. In fact, I'm not even plowing the soil. But I am removing stones from And for him, at that time, it was tough work. And he must have wondered what, if anything, would ever come of it. Fast forward 150 years, and we see astonishing things happening in Iran today. Uh, you saw the PowerPoint image of that mass baptism. We got that image from the front uh, cover of this magazine, which tells more of the uh, remarkable things God is doing in Iran. You can pick one up from the school afterwards. Among Iranians uh, here in Britain, too, uh, it's just thrilling to see what God is doing. And as mentioned uh, uh, by Rachel, the person that uh, was on that picture that got, was getting baptized the very day I was last here, which is why Rachel couldn't be with us. Um, there is another Iranian getting baptized today. There have been quite a number uh, since you know, I was last here. Uh, Iranians are reaching other Iranians. And that's is just a little glimpse of the things that are happening. I think that Jesus got a glimpse of this coming harvest uh, when in John chapter 4 he had the opportunity, one of the rare opportunities during his earthly ministry, to reach out to people that were from a different uh, ethnic group. Because uh, by and large, Jesus' mission had to be restricted to the people of Israel to fulfill his role as the Jewish Messiah and prepare them to be the channel and the, um, the beachhead, as it were, to break out to the nations, which would happen after his death, resurrection, ascension, and uh, the coming of the Spirit. So Jesus' uh, mission to his people was just a temporary thing, preparing for that much bigger bursting forth of the gospel. And the book of Acts is the story of how that gospel spread. But on this occasion, Jesus had the privilege and opportunity speaking uh, with this uh, Samaritan lady uh, and seeing her respond and her start to tell the good news to fellow Samaritans in her village. And Jesus, I think, was so pumped up with excitement that he didn't want to eat. The, the, Pharisees, the uh, disciples brought food back to him and he said, no, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he says, don't you say, look, you know, the harvest is coming kind of later on sometime, no hurry. He says, look, now the fields are white to harvest. And now the, the sower and the reaper uh, are working together. Uh, Jesus' eyes were open just through the 
um, response to that one Samaritan woman, to the amazing things that would start rippling out um, just you know, relatively soon uh, after his death, resurrection, and, and uh, the coming of the Spirit. And so as we uh, look in our second, uh, our other reading from the book of Acts, and that's what I'm going to be preaching from now, so um, let's have the passage up in front of us, Acts chapter 11. Um, we can see one of the uh, special breakthroughs that took place uh, in a surprising way. Because we tend to think of mission in the book of Acts as being uh, organized by the apostles, um, who were the professionals, if you like. They'd had three years full-time training with Jesus. Um, you know, they were the leaders. Uh, you would think that any outreach to the, uh, the nations would be done in an organized way uh, by these uh, leaders. Uh, but none of it. Um, Peter did finally go and talk to a Roman uh, soldier, uh, once God had kind of broken down his prejudices, and we read about that in Acts uh, chapter 10 and the first part of 11. Uh, but the, the, the real outreach further beyond uh, and the, the planting of a first uh, church among the non-Jewish peoples was actually done by everyday missionaries, ordinary people, so ordinary we don't even know their names. Um, and we read about them here in, uh, in verse 19. Some of the believers... Um, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So, Stephen, you'll remember, was the first uh, Christian martyr in uh, Jerusalem. The, the church at that time was just composed of Jewish people, followers of Jesus, and uh, disaster fell on the church because a great persecution uh, broke out against the believers. And they had to abandon their homes. They had to leave their businesses. Uh, they had to gather whatever few possessions they could, and they had to flee for their lives. And sometimes when disaster falls on Christians, and we read uh, about persecution of Christians, we think, isn't this dreadful? God, how do you allow it to happen? And the Christian media does a good job of, of telling us about persecuted Christians around the world. And it's good that it does. And it's good that we care, and it's good that we pray, and that we give. But we need to think also beyond that because God is there. And God uses even disasters and even persecution for good. And what happened in this case was that the persecution scattered the people. Like you take an old dandelion and you puff on it. And the seeds get scattered. And the scattering of the seeds, the diaspora, uh, is exactly what happens. That word means scattering. And these believers were scattered up the coast of uh, Lebanon from uh, Jerusalem up the Mediterranean coastline until uh, some of them pitched up uh, at the corner of uh, where Lebanon meets modern Turkey. And there was the third largest city of the Roman Empire called Antioch. Now always in the big city you get uh, refugees and migrants arriving. Uh, it still happens today. Uh, you arrive there because you can be a bit more anonymous if you're trying to escape persecution and also because you've got more hope of picking up some work. Remember, these uh, believers from Jerusalem had lost everything. Uh, they got their kids with them. They had to feed their kids. How were they going to manage? They probably went to the uh, docks down in Antioch where the ships landed and said, oh, come on, you know, will you give me a denarius for kind of offloading the, the, the goods off the ships and taking them to the market? Whatever they had to do, they did to survive. It was tough. And it's tough for um, Christian refugees today. It's tough for those that have to flee 
Syria uh, or Lebanon uh, or uh, Iraq in the troubles that we're reading of at the moment. Although, read two of the way that churches are filling up with Muslim uh, Syrians as never before uh, because um, God is working among the refugees. Now, God doesn't just work among refugees, but he works through refugees to reach refugees. And what happened in Antioch is that these believers had the uh, boldness uh, to start speaking, and this is verse uh, 20, to non-Jews also. You've got this great cultural melting pot in Antioch and the opportunity for these people rubbing shoulders with other migrants to start sharing Jesus. And God bless their efforts and the church was planted. Last weekend, Rachel and I were in Liverpool and uh, Liverpool Cathedral has a problem on their hands and that's why they asked us to come and give some advice. Liverpool Cathedral has an influx of Iranians seeking Jesus. In fact, last year they baptized and confirmed 60, that's 6-0 Iranians, another 24 so far this year. So what do you do with 80 new believers on your hands who speak Farsi? Okay, that's Liverpool Cathedral's problem. Now, Liverpool Cathedral never initiated that outreach. It wasn't kind of organized and signed off on committee. The reason that Iranian asylum seekers in Liverpool are coming to Christ is that other asylum seekers are telling them. It's one asylum seeker telling another asylum seeker where to find bread. And so the bread of the gospel is being shared out by people who've had no Bible training, they're not supported financially, uh, they're not set aside for it, they're not seen as missionaries, but actually they are. They are everyday missionaries, landing up wherever God's placed them and telling the good news of Jesus. That's how the gospel is spreading in Liverpool. Two days later, we were in Rochdale, uh, just north of Manchester. Similar things happening there, smaller scale. But some of the uh, Rochdale uh, new believers that had come to Christ as Iranians through the message from other Iranians were last Sunday down in Hyde Park at Speaker's Corner where they went with their broken English to tell about Jesus to anyone that would listen. Now, you know, who's on the front line of mission today in Britain? Why are the church statistics of attendance every week going up in London when they're going down in most of the country? They're going up in London, but half, half of the um, attendees in church every week in London are not white British people. They're, they're from the nations that the Lord has gathered, uh, for whatever reason. And they're being bold in sharing their faith with others. So it's time we open our eyes to the reality of mission in the 21st century. In the uh, church that Rachel and I uh, belonging in, uh, in Oxford, um, we've been involved in what was called the Overseas Partner Support Group. Uh, and the idea is that the church kind of sends a few people on its behalf to the heathen nations and it supports them to do it. That's the model that we've had for 200 years and praise God it's worked well. But now the world has changed and we changed the name of that group. It's no longer Overseas Partner Support Group, it's called now Reaching the Nations Group. Because our part of Oxford is becoming increasingly a part where the nations come. And the great new opportunity that that creates and that we have here in Portsmouth, where, for instance, there are 4,000 uh, international students from more than 50 nations, 
and a great many others that are here for all sorts of reasons. The great new opportunity that gives us is to reach the nations on our doorstep and not just to send a few to do it on our behalf, but for all of us uh, to be involved as opportunity arises. I've had three conversations already this morning. One with Mary Thurlow, uh, who has uh, opportunities to share Christ with uh, Chinese people around her. Uh, and there's, there's plenty of opportunities to help Chinese with their English or whatever it is that the need is. I was talking to Joan Wright, and she talked about, and I quote with her permission, a funny old bloke who has a shop and is reaching out to Kurdish people in, in Portsmouth. She took a little uh, calendar. We've got some Bible calendars out there in different languages. She took one of those to give to this guy to give to his Kurdish friends. That's how the gospel is spreading in Portsmouth, to the nations, reaching the nations in our midst. And then I was talking with Puma, uh, yes, uh, just now. Um, and uh, as you know, uh, he and his wife have a lovely uh, opportunity to reach Nepalis here. So reaching the nations is a task for all of us. And that's what the believers did in Antioch. Uh, and as a result, a church was planted. Now, eventually, the... Uh, authorities in the Jerusalem church uh, caught up with what God was doing and decided to join in, taking our uh, definition of mission, seeing what God is doing and joining in. So they sent Barnabas along to check it out. Now Barnabas, uh, as you know, means son of encouragement. And Barnabas, when he arrived, um, where are we up to on the screen there? can't quite read it. Let me read it off the Bible. Um, this is verse 20. Two onwards, news reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to God with all of their heart. Okay, so he was a son of encouragement. His task was to encourage. And he got hold of Saul from Tarsus, who was a believer by now, and together for a whole year they taught the church. They saw how important uh, discipleship was where you're at whenever you've got new believers. And this is uh, the case now across uh, growing churches. Wherever you get first-generation believers, there's a need for discipleship and training and teaching. And uh, I referred to some of that in the PowerPoint earlier on about how um, there are national uh, training movements that are helping to support Asian churches, equip their people uh, to grow strong in the Lord. These are new believers, come from many different backgrounds to grow strong in the Lord, to know his word, have confidence in him, and then to uh, get involved in ministry and witness that flow out of all of that. So that's uh, what happened in Antioch. That's uh, the need uh, in many countries today. We still need to be sending uh, missionaries from Britain. We still need to be sending missionaries from St. Jude's. We still need to be thinking about, uh, God, I'm available, where do you want me? But when we go, let's go not just to do our own thing, but to work alongside uh, the churches uh, where they already exist. And I was quite struck that the uh, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, OMF, uh, in its latest uh, magazine, has got a good article called The Shape of Things to Come. Uh, I would actually call it The Shape of Things Already. Uh, because it's saying, look, the reality is that there are vibrant uh, churches already in East Asia, and our task is not just to bypass them, uh, but to work alongside them in partnership, equipping, mobilizing, supporting, encouraging, just like Barnabas did. 
So then, we see in Acts chapter 11, uh, we see everyday missionaries break, making new breakthroughs for the gospel. And that's happening today in the 21st century, just as it did in Antioch. Secondly, we see the task uh, of needing to come alongside and help through discipling and equipping, just as Barnabas did. And thirdly, we see that this church at Antioch uh, became a church for all nations, that it might reach all nations. A church of all nations, for all nations. We know that they were a church of all nations because in Acts 13, we see how their leadership team was very multicultural. And when you dig into the names that you have in the first few uh, verses of Acts 13, and you see their different backgrounds, you're amazed that this motley crew of people that normally should be kind of enemies are actually united in Christ. It's a new thing happening. And it was so new that the people looking on didn't even have a name for it, so they gave them a nickname that stuck. It's in verse 26. In Antioch, the believers were first called Christians. Christian was a label, because they didn't have any other labels, because this was a new thing happening. And I wonder if our churches can be a new thing happening to show multicultural Britain what it really means to successfully be uh, a community that transcends cultures without obliterating them. Okay, now if that's a challenge for us, what does it mean? It means that we not only welcome uh, people of all nations into our church, but we're, we're willing to start changing the way we do stuff, changing our church culture, and not staying in our little groups after the service when we drink coffee, but deliberately and, and enjoying the privilege of making good friendships across cultures with people from all the nations. And then, you know, inviting them to our homes, going to their homes during the week. It's, where, it's, it's outside of church where real community is built. Of course, you know, I'm not saying we don't need services. Of course we do. But it's outside of the services that church community is built. And if we can demonstrate that that church community is about all nations, uh, then that is something incredibly powerful just in itself. And it's a great privilege. We've got so much to learn from each other, from all nations in our midst. But then it's also a church for all nations. And in Acts 13, we see how this church of all nations became a church for all nations because it started sending out missionaries. And the first organized uh, mission uh, initiative that was carried out in the early church was carried out by a multicultural church uh, that sent a mission trip from Asia, actually, to Europe, eventually. Uh, so... The new churches of the world are sending out missionaries. Korea, Brazil, and in the coming days, China. These are the kind of countries, Nigeria, that are going to be sending out, already are, large numbers of, of mission workers. Uh, and one of the great privileges and opportunities uh, for the traditional mission societies, which have been predominantly from the West to the rest, historically, is now to reshape ourselves to see how we can be sending from everywhere to everywhere. So, there's a new thing happening. Let's take our models for mission, not from just what we've been doing for 200 years, great though that is, uh, but from what God is doing in the 21st century, as illuminated from what he was doing in the first century. And let's take this challenge to be everyday missionaries reaching the nations around us. And let's see mission as coming alongside what God's already doing and joining in uh, with uh, 
discipling, equipping, and mobilizing. Let's get excited by those in our midst who are doing it and get behind them. And let's be a church of all nations.